Fun Parts is a show about, well, all our fun parts. But just a heads up that we'll be speaking pretty frankly about bodies, sexuality, spirituality, faith, and a host of other related topics. This episode includes references to sexual abuse and trauma, which may be difficult or triggering for some listeners. Also, you might not want to listen with your kids around. Finally, you can join the discussion on our Instagram page at Fun Parts Podcast. Hello, friends. This is Luke from Fun Parts. One of the things we've known since the day we started the show is that we wanted to be very intentional about welcoming, highlighting, and celebrating the voices, perspectives, and stories of others within the Fun Parts listening community and outside of it. It's taken a little time, but we're finally able to begin doing just that. This is a threesome. A bonus episode in which one or two of us sit down with one or two of you, friends of the show, to hear your story. Today's threesome features a conversation between our very own Latifa Alatas and Steve Weens and special guest Dr. Jamie Berline. Our hope is that you'll find her story encouraging, inspiring, and informative, and that you'll allow it to serve as a conversation starter between you and the people in your community. So, without further ado, here's threesome number one with Dr. Jamie Berline. Hi, everybody. This is Latifa, your Fun Parts co-host, and I'm really excited for this threesome conversation with my friend, Dr. Jamie Berline. I met her about a year and a half ago here in Nashville when I was looking for chiropractic care, and my old chiropractor in Colorado recommended her clinic. And I walked in and I immediately felt like this is the place I want to get adjusted. (laughs) That's awesome. You know, you get a vibe from a space and, and I also got a vibe from you and I immediately felt like safe and comfortable. I mean, when you let somebody tweak your skeletal system, you have to really trust them. (laughs) Absolutely. And Steve is here with us too. Hey, Steve. Hey, friends. Jamie, I would just love for you to start. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am a Nashville native, born and raised here. And my original degree in undergrad was linguistics and biblical languages. I was definitely on the ministry track. I did a year as a missionary in Mexico between high school and college. And then after college, I was a youth pastor here in Nashville. And yeah, even when I shifted into chiropractic, to me, really chiropractic was an outgrowth of ministry. Like I wanted to be able to serve people with my hands and actually have a tattoo on my wrist that's from a verse that says, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so that was my thought was every time I get to put my hands on people, their bodies are going to heal. And yeah, so things changed for me. You could say a little bit, even it was after I met Latifa, but I came to the realization I don't know if realization or more, I just like, I finally admitted it to myself at age 35 that I'm transgender. And a lot of things had to happen in order for me to even get to that realization. But since I have embraced it and owned it and begun to transition, my life has entirely changed. And Latifah has gotten to see some of that. Yeah, it's been a privilege. And Mm -hmm. I think it's always really inspiring when I see somebody (laughs) embody who they are. Mm-hmm. And they present that same image of what they're embodying outward. Yeah, it's been really beautiful to watch. But I also know that there has been some things in the last, has it been a whole year now? 
It's been a little over. Yeah. So I first realized for myself, it was like end of July, August of 2019. Started medical transition around October of that year. And then came out publicly, I think it was November. So yeah, it's been a little over a year. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'd be so curious before you even became public with maybe like your inner circle of people, Mm -hmm. were you doing like a lot of research? Um, Was it a topic before? Like how many years were kind of like, were you curious about even giving yourself permission to Mm -hmm. let the idea, right? Like maybe percolate in your mind. Like I'm curious about that because coming from ministry and a very singular way of identifying gender. Right. Absolutely. Like, how did you even give yourself permission? And when did that start to happen? Right. Okay. So that's a long story. I'm going to try to break it down into bite-sized pieces for you. But I'll say, first of all, like the, my transness has been with me my entire life. It was, you know, later when I was 35 that I first really grappled with it and, you know, decided to recognize for what it was. But growing up in the 80s, like, I didn't ever hear the word transgender. Like, I didn't know what it was. I didn't have language for it. If I had, I may have come out a lot sooner. Yeah. But as young as I can remember, I knew I was supposed to be a girl. And, you know, there's all these different stories, you know, times I could point to from, I have memories as young as like four or five, Mm -hmm. where, you know, I would identify with female characters, or I would you know, just really be envious of the girls that were around me all through my like middle school years. I remember going to sleep almost on a nightly basis, praying that God would change me. And yeah, so it's been there forever. Mm -hmm. But in my religious upbringing, I associated these thoughts and these feelings with sin, with there's Mm -hmm. something being wrong with me, with sinful nature with, you know, something that I had to suppress and that it was just some kind of temptation. And so I went through a pretty radical worldview transformation. I was political. It was queer. It was like so many different levels happening at one time. I would say beginning maybe five, six years ago. And I got to the point, you know, for a lot of reasons, but I decided I was going to shed the term Christian, what it represented and what it still represents a lot in our country is not something I want to identify myself with. And it wasn't until I started peeling off some of those layers of the onion that I started to finally relook at this aspect of myself. And fortunately, I have some really good queer friends. I have some good trans friends that kind of helped crack the egg a little bit for me. And I was actually at a festival, so the Wild Goose Festival with some friends. And one night we were hanging out and, you know, we were drinking and smoking weed and just kind of like whatever. And I was like, just being myself, just being free. And one of my friends, Aaron, was like, you're such a lesbian. And <laughs> I had heard that so many times. And I'd always like told people, like, if I was a girl, I would be a lesbian, like 100%. <laughs> but for whatever reason, her naming that, like something inside me was ready to say, actually, that's true. Yeah. And yeah, so it was like, my head was just cranking the next couple of weeks after that. And that was when I finally asked myself the question. And 
realize what was going on. But to your research question, yes, at that point, I started reading all of the things. I started, you know, books, articles, like other people's stories, trying to prove that it was not true. Wow. Because, you know, I was married and I have three kids. I'm a doctor. I have my own clinic. Like, there's a lot at stake. All my family is religious. Mm. And as much as like part of me felt like it was coming alive, at the same time, I could see all of this death waiting to happen. Wow. And it was really hard mm. reckoning that and feeling these simultaneous emotions of euphoria of like feeling like there's a part of me that's been missing that finally fits in the puzzle. And then, you know, seeing that I have to give up, you know, almost everything in my life in order to get that. So yeah, it was a a very hard journey. So the research first started with, let's find a way to have this not be true. Yes. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I'm just wondering like how common that is. Do you have any idea? Is that pretty common? I mean, everybody's journey is totally different. There does seem to be a division depending on the age that you grapple with your transness. So often, you know, you hear the stereotypical stories of like the five-year-old child that only wants to wear dresses and is like totally assertive. I know I'm a girl. And those are the ones that get headlines sometimes. But a lot of people, you know, for whatever reasons, whether it's cultural, whether it's just, you know, the course their life takes, don't come to grips with it until much later. And at that point, there's a lot more to lose because you've already, you know, lived so much life and you have all these relationships that are now thrown in jeopardy. And so I would imagine, and I've heard that from other people, but I would imagine it's fairly common to want to do anything and everything to find a reason why, oh God, this is not the path I have to take. And that's because our society is set up in a way or our culture that unfortunately you do have a lot at risk relationally and potentially professionally when you make an identity change. Cause we all like to Mm -hmm. say like, oh, my faith is separate from all these other things, but Mm -hmm. it's so integrated in how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people. Mm -hmm. I want to come back to your story, but I think one of the questions that popped into my mind when you said, you know, oh, I'm a lesbian, mm-hmm. it kind of taps into sexual identity, sexual preference. And I'm right. wondering if you can give us some like trans 101 language terms, of course. because I know like even myself, like I have fumbled with friends mm-hmm. and like something comes out of my mouth that was like, you know, culturally more normative to my upbringing. And then I'm like kicking myself. And mm-hmm. so like, if you don't mind, like generously kind of giving us some education. Sure, sure. So to start where your question originated was the difference between gender and sexual orientation. They are two entirely independent processes. Your gender identity has to do with your body's sense of self. And it actually occurs in a different area of the brain compared to sexual orientation. So a trans person, just like a cisgendered person or somebody whose brain and body are congruent, could be, you know, straight or gay or pan or anywhere, you know, on the spectrum, of course. And so I have always, my entire life, only been attracted to women or femme-bodied people. And that didn't change a bit, you know, with my transition, but what did change was I was finally able to come to grips with my gender identity. So even though we often talk about the two in the same conversation, they're very different things. 
Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So really the main thing that you were grappling with wasn't your sexual orientation because I no. said it was your gender identity. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. So when you were realizing that it was time for you to kind of maybe be more outward, like more public facing first with your inner circle, I'm assuming about your gender identity. Can I, unless it's too personal, can I ask how do those conversations go? Like, were they painful? Were they successful? (laughs) Were you surprised? Like good or bad? Oh yeah. It was a shit show. It was terrible. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah. So I am not the kind of person that can keep anything bottled up for long. So (laughs) yeah, when something is going on inside of me, like it comes out of my mouth before it's fully processed in my brain. And so my wife at the time, God bless her, she is really a saint, but we were at her nephew's birthday party and we were like sitting on the couch and kids were playing and I must have had this like, you know, deep in thought look on my face. And she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, nothing. No, she's like, well, what are you thinking about? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just having some questions. And she's like, about what? And I was like, my gender. (laughs) And she was like, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) just in the middle of a birthday party. (laughs) And she was like, are you saying that you're trans? And I was like, yeah, I think I might be. And so like, we had to leave the party. It was, uh, it was like, cause like, you know, of course all the implications for her come crashing down too in that moment. But I will say of everyone in my life who knew me before the absolute best supporter, most affirming person has been her. Alyssa has been amazing. And as much as I have not wanted to you know, ruin what we had, or it felt like it was my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, she has always, you know, pushed me to be myself and to be honest mm-hmm. about it, whatever those consequences are. And there were wow. consequences because as much as she loves me and supports me, she's straight. And, you know, so we did wind up getting divorced, but even, you know, post-divorce, like we co-parent so well, we have, you know, big family mm-hmm. dinners like every other week we, you know, do fun things together. We like, she was over here for Christmas. It was like her and me and all the kids and my girlfriend, like just wow. one big happy group. And of course, to get to that point was super hard for both of us. But she never once doubted me. She never thought that I was doing something performative or that, you know, I ever meant to cause her any harm. And she really defended me against other people who accused me of that. Mm. including, you know, my family and including her own family and wound up having, you know, some major rifts in relationships between her and her family because they wanted to attack me. They wanted to, you know, accuse me of doing this horrible thing to her. Mm. And she's like, no, it is not like that. And, you know, we're not going to be around each other if that's the way you're going to talk about her. Wow. She was amazing. Pretty much everybody else was the opposite. Still not on speaking terms with most of my family or most of my old friends. That part has been really tough. I will say my two employees were great. Yeah, they're great, by the way. (laughs) They are. They like, obviously it was a shock to them. And that was the crazy thing is because like, I feel like I'm a fairly well composed person. Like I kept all of this, you know, totally secret. Like none of my friends saw this coming. None of my family saw this coming. It was always there for me. It's not like it just showed up one day, but I kept it under wraps. 
And so it was a shock to them as well, but they were amazing as well, supporting me. And, you know, they got me cards and like celebrated a year later after like my first year being out. So, yeah, but most of the other conversations were, you know, nightmare scenarios, you know, total rejection, sending me leaflets to conversion therapy. I had an uncle who lives in another state that I haven't seen in a while. I got a letter from him that was like, this you need to repent kind of letter signed by him and like 25 people in his Bible. Uh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was as bad as it could get in most areas, but you know, having Alyssa and having a few chosen friends that are now my chosen family that supported me and, and you welcomed me for who I am all through the journey honestly, is what kept me sane. It's what kept me from just being totally depressed all the time. Mm. I really hate that for you. Mm -hmm. It makes me sad. Yeah. Your kids, I mean, you still have a good relationship Mm. with your kids. I'm guessing they're okay. I I do. Yeah. Custody has not changed for me. I have my kids half the time and they, they struggle with pronouns, but they accept me, you know, who I am. It was, of course, very confusing for them. Gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So I was fortunate enough that I kind of saw this coming a little bit. And before I came out to them, I had had a couple of conversations with them about what being transgender means and, you know, talking about my friend, Dr. Robin, and, you know, some other people and just trying to help them understand the terminology because I didn't actually get to tell my kids. Their mom, who is not Alyssa, my first ex, outed me to them mm. and told them that Alyssa and I were getting divorced without me being present. Oh, yeah. And then so I had to, you know, try to clean up the mess afterwards. But it was a really shitty thing to do. And, you know, that's not a, a moment that I get to have back. Yeah. So, yeah. But since, you know, fortunately, like I said, I, I'm really glad I had those conversations with them beforehand because I think it prepared them to understand it. And honestly, they've been great. They really have. And my relationship with them is great. Obviously, things were confusing at first. Mm -hmm. But the more, you know, we we live in it and the more my body is changing and they're seeing all these things different about me, the more they get it. Yeah. Wow. I am sitting here kind of trying to imagine the internal cost that probably even has external consequences of not giving yourself permission to Mm -hmm. identify how you really are. Like, how does that, I guess what I'm really curious about is have you noticed any difference in like how you feel in your body now versus prior to identifying as female? Like like, you're talking a lot about sacrifice, like the the things you, it has been at a great cost, but I would imagine there has to be also, it has to be worth it. I mean, it sounds like, right. And so maybe like, helping listeners understand that it's not just like, like you mentioned, like being accused of being performative or like, mm-hmm. you know, people I would assume would accuse people of going through phases or whatever the accusation right. might be. Right. Yeah. It's so much more integrated and deeper than that when we're talking about embodiment. And so mm-hmm. I love to talk about the body and how things tell your body tells you the truth. But how does that work when like, you know, your physical body pre-change? Like, yeah. can you help me unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. And that honestly is a huge part of my story of realization was a journey of embodiment. And, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up 
essentially being schooled in toxic masculinity where, mm-hmm. you know, you don't show your feelings, you don't show fear, you don't show sadness, you don't cry. And, you know, was raised in this very self-reliant, independent, you know, very logical emotions are useless kind of a, a mindset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it made me a very intellectual person. And, you know, in a lot of ways it served me for a while, but even before I came to grips with my transness, I recognized how muted my emotional palate was. And I Mm -hmm. recognized how stale and how lifeless my relationship with my body was. Mm -hmm. And that was really a, a big part of, you know, leaning into that and wanting to become more embodied and wanting to really have a full emotional landscape that opened things up for me to begin to embrace my transness. So transgender people often experience something called gender dysphoria, which is the term for that incongruence between who your brain says you are and the physical characteristics of your body. And people experience that to different degrees. Some people not very much at all. Others have like parts of their body that they just are absolutely grossed out by. They detest, they like, they have to get rid of it as soon as possible. Mm. I didn't have a ton of dysphoria. I've had like seasons where it's been bad and then other times where it's, you know, relatively minor. But the opposite side of that is as you begin to experience and live your true self, you begin to experience gender euphoria. And like mm-hmm. you look in the mirror and you're like, that matches finally. Mm-hmm. Now that's and I'm actually seeing me now. And so It's hard to put language to it, I think, the difference in how I feel in my body pre and post. I mean, because that was all kind of one big transition, the leaning into the emotional landscape, the leaning into my body, and then discovering that euphoria through my gender Mm. as part of it. So it's something that I'm continuing to lean into and, and grow in and fortunately have an amazing friend. Aaron Law, who has taught me a lot about somatics Mm. and, you know, just really trying to understand the wisdom of my body and what my body's telling me and how to reconnect with the fact that I live in a body. I live on a planet. I'm, you know, part of this larger thing. Whereas before, you know, I was, I considered myself a soul floating around in a temporary meat sack, you know? Yeah. And it's just a very different way of approaching life. Gosh. Mm. You know, that's something... (laughs) A soul floating around in a supreme meat sack. That's something that the Christian faith yeah. typically teaches that for anyone, Absolutely. you know, your body is sinful, bad. It's basically something that won't, you won't carry with you. But I loved, or, and I loved that transcendence from gender dysphoria or some mm-hmm. to gender euphoria. And yeah. I wonder, oh, I love that. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. I won't forget that. I wonder yeah. because so many people that I've talked to, that have either transitioned or come out as gay or lesbian that have been Christians, almost everyone will say something to me like, it just feels so good to no longer ask the question, what's wrong with me? What's wrong? Mm-hmm. With me? What's wrong yeah. with me? now? I, did you experience that when you said, this is who I am? How are, do you experience it yeah, now? Definitely. For me, the spiritual shift came first. Yeah. And, you know, I began to, you know, accept myself and not be afraid of judgment or condemnation yeah. Yeah. or, you know, trying to meet anyone else's approval of who my person is. 
for me, that came before the gender transition wow. and honestly opened the door for it. Because as I you know, was no longer fearing for some kind of retribution, if I chose the wrong path or something like that, yeah, that was what enabled me to really embrace these parts of myself that I had, you know, kept hidden for so long. Mm. Who was the guide or what was the illumination <laughs> that you, because that's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. You it know, is, yeah. I, that's really surprising to me, actually. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before. How did you do that? Yeah. For, you know, what happened? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think... Part of it was innate. Part of it was like, I, as I said, you know, I was in ministry for a long time, but even beyond my you know, theological doctrines, I had this just unshakable belief in the goodness of all people yeah. and finding it very hard to reject someone else, you know, because we're all on our journeys. And even if they're not where I think they should be right now, uh, who's to say they won't be, right. you know, yeah. at, at some point, and I can't speak to their journey. But there was something in me already that was wanting to include everyone. Mm-hmm. There was never wanting to exclude anyone, never wanting to other other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was already there. But then, honestly, the work of Rob Bell has been hugely influential in my life. And then William Young, the book, uh, Lies We Believe About God, mm-hmm. totally broke things open for me. Wow. Mm-hmm. I remember I was driving to a lake house and had like a two hour drive. And I listen to audiobooks like on double speed. I go through several books a week. Like I just absorb so much, but I was listening to this book and it suddenly struck me. I was like, could the good news be that good? Yeah. 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 Could, wow. could it be good enough that it's good for everyone? Yeah. And so that really started me on a, a an expanding kind of a journey for my spiritual life. And the more that I became convinced of that and, you know, was no longer fearing things like hell. Yeah. That really opened me up to if this is who I am and who I am is not bad, then I should be able to be all of me. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's gorgeous. I'm having this interior revelation a little bit about, because I really believe our bodies tell us the truth, but I've been mm-hmm. asking myself, okay, well, if I was trans and I w- my gender identity was not matching the physical gender that I mm-hmm. came into the world with. So I've had this thought, you know, I'm sure I'm not the first one or will be the last, that my body has a consciousness and mm-hmm. that the Latifah soul spirit consciousness is in companionship and communication with the body consciousness. And we're kind of journeying together. But right yeah. now I'm having this thought, my body's a space suit, you know, and like it's taking me yeah. through the atmosphere, but mm-hmm. it's not just a suit. It's not just mechanical. It's not just a servant, you know, to me, mm-hmm. like once we realize that we're working together, like what is possible, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if the consciousness of the body is what actually tells us the truth. It's not the physical form of the body, because mm-hmm. that would be more congruent and be more welcoming to the idea of like the whole trans community not feeling like that their body is quote unquote a liar. But I'm Mm. wondering if the consciousness, because I I do believe in a divine source of like love and truth and goodness. Sure. And I'm wondering, some people might call it the collective consciousness, if the consciousness Mm. of the body is the divine infused breath 
of the consciousness of God. And so I'm not saying that like I am God. So like, Mm -hmm. please don't hear me say that listeners. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is like, I'm wondering if that is like the God inspired consciousness that is in everyone and what you're talking about that ultimately you you believe in the goodness of people. And I'm wondering if that's connected to that. This is all just like ideas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah. But this is why I think it's important and vital to humanity that people not just have permission, but are celebrated Mm -hmm. for the myriad of different identities and preferences that they have, Mm -hmm. because it helps give me a more dimensional view and perspective of humanity. Like it's Mm -hmm. actually essential. Like it would be less dimensional, like more linear if my friends weren't like, quote unquote, allowed to really show me who they are. And so like, sure, I'm just like in real time feeling inspired by who you are and your process. And it's like giving me life like in this moment Mm. and reconnecting me with my own spirit and body and the divine. And that's why I think it's important. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I would, I just want to say like hearing you say that just really creates this like huge ball of warmth in my chest and I feel this radiating out. I think part of the way that I see things is from a a perspective of like oneness or union. And I think it can be really helpful when you start to break down those barriers of where I stop and you start. I mean, you know, even on like a science level, if you zoom in with a microscope, like where's the actual division between self and Mm -hmm. non-self? But I think that, you know, our Western philosophy and capitalism and all these other things have led us to this place where ego is equated with soul, where, you know, like my personal discrete self must be this inviolable you know, discrete spiritual matter that cannot merge or be part of another thing. I'm me and I'm not anything else. And I think there's a lot of harm in that. Yeah. I think there is so much separation and othering that comes from that. Yeah. And to me, you know, like, I think that trying out this idea of like the consciousness of the body, I see it as part of the, the consciousness of the whole. And yeah. we are, you know, parts of the universe, parts of the whole experiencing the rest of it from a certain perspective. But really, the further you zoom out or the further you zoom in, there's really no difference. Mm -hmm. And so a mantra that I have adopted for myself, especially when I relate to other people, is, you know, we often say things like, well, if I were in your shoes, I would do this. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you were me, you should feel this way or something like that. But I've kind of put a oneness perspective on that and said, you know what, when I'm you, that's exactly how I feel, Uh, you know, and that eliminates distance. It it eliminates othering because we are connected. We are the same. And, you know, who knows what that ultimate reality looks like or how it's divided or how it works. But the truth is we do have the same source and, you know, our time in this plane on these bodies is short And then our matter and our souls and our whatever is going to be doing something else, Mm -hmm. you know? But if I can understand that so much of who we are is a product of how we were raised and the the environments that we're in, then how could I blame another soul? You know, how can I other something that 
has had an entirely different experience than me. And so yeah. I try to keep that in mind. You know, when I'm you, that's how I feel. Or, or when I'm you, that's exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. Not not what not would, not should, not could, just that's this is the reality because the eternal part of me is in the eternal part of you. And obviously it made that decision. So mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. try to give it the grace of maybe I don't understand why. Maybe I don't have that same perspective, but I get it. You know, oh. when it, when when I'm you, that's how I feel. That's so interesting. I love that. I remember when I was 18, my professor decided to have us watch Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swank. Yeah. She is a trans male. Is that the correct Mm -hmm. way? Trans man. Yeah, Mm -hmm. trans man. And I remember at 18 being in my very kind of fundamentalist evangelical fervor, if you will. And I remember spending the entire movie being offended. Of course. By the topic, but I do remember, you know, spoiler alert, when he's getting like the shit beat out of him, knowing that that wasn't okay, right? Right. And I thought that was bad, but I couldn't even go into the place of identifying. I remember thinking, man, that seems really hard. Like what things led him to have this like perverted view of himself as opposed to like, what would it be like to be in a body that does not match Mm. my gender? And yeah. I remember it wasn't until about 10 years later, I met my first friend who is trans and they communicated the massive like disruption, discomfort and pain and suffering of what you told us earlier was gender dysphoria, like mm-hmm. what it would be like to look in the mirror and like hate certain parts of your body because they weren't identifying right. correctly with your gender. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time it's kind of what you were just saying, like, instead of being like, well, if I were you, I would do this. I just sat there like with her and was just like, oh my gosh, I, that is so painful. Yeah. It's so painful Mm. and that is awful. And I cannot imagine, but I'm just going to sit here with you in this. And it was the first time it really pivoted and shifted. And my theology had already been through lots of transitions at that point already but kind of mm-hmm. like you, like my spirituality mm-hmm. kind of was opening as new ideas started coming. I was really closed off when I was 18, but I was becoming more open in my mid to late 20s. And mm-hmm. it positioned me to offer a lot more empathy and no judgment. And right. it honestly feels so much better. <laughs> like, it really does. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. to be able to do that with somebody and engage in that way. And I share that story because I would imagine we have listeners that like even this topic could feel scary or confusing or offensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're all on journeys of like understanding how to embrace the other so that otherness disappears or dissipates. But maybe in the meantime, if you could help us with some like simple do's and don'ts sure. with like, as we're learning how to engage with people that are different from us, like specifically in the trans community, like, could you just kind of give us some tips and tricks? Yeah. So the biggest thing is just to really respect what someone tells you about themselves. If, you know, they tell you their pronouns or if they tell you their name, it's not, oh, that's what this person wants to be called. That's just their name, <laughs> you know? And even I know within the trans community, there's a movement away from saying the term preferred pronouns as if there's another option. Right. It's just, these are my pronouns. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we're coming a long way on. But, you know, the interrogation is something that's got to be avoided. Of course, if it's new, if it's novel to you, if you're like, what is all this stuff? Then naturally you have a lot of questions. 
but you shouldn't ask a trans person something that you wouldn't ask a cisgender person. <laughs> like somebody should never come up and ask me about my genitals because they don't need to know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there are some faux pas. You don't ask people about surgeries. You don't ask people about what's in their pants. If they trust you and they know you, then you will find out eventually probably, but you know, it's just not something that, you know, we, we forget these etiquette rules that we would never do to another person, but because we see a trans person honestly kind of is less than human, more of like an oddity, we feel like we have the entitlement to ask certain things that you would just never do in another situation. But the biggest thing that you can do to support a trans person is treat them as the gender that they tell you they are, and not as even like this third other category because sometimes oh. you know i feel like i've gotten that a lot where people will be like oh no, no no she's a woman not a man but then in their brain they still don't associate me with things in the category of woman right like mm -hmm. i still don't get invited to a lot of like women's events oh. or you know women go to the bathroom together and it's not that often that someone offers to go with me or something mm. like that but that's actually a huge deal as far as safety goes yeah, for me. Right. Yeah. So obviously you don't want to out a trans person to anyone else, you know, even introducing them like, oh, this is Angela and she's my trans friend. Mm. You know, like you and Angela might have that relationship, but that doesn't mean that she wants every other person. Again, it's a safety issue. Yeah, you know, anytime, you know, trans people work very hard to eliminate their tells, to eliminate things that would give them away so that they don't get clocked in public because, wow. you know, we live in a society that you know, has a lot of people are very hostile towards the existence of trans people and trans people are, you know, a lot of times victims of violence. So mm -hmm. anything that would put somebody else at risk by exposing them, you know, is really a big no, no, of course, but that's good. the main thing is you just have to treat them like whoever they say they are. That's and so if you can do that, then a lot of the details take care of themselves. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. That is really helpful. You mentioned some of them, Jamie, but what are some of the other hardships that trans people face? Mm -hmm. And even thinking about intersectionality, you know, trans right. people of yeah. color or uh, talk a little bit more about that, would you? Absolutely. And this is something that's very important to me because you know, trans people are not a monolith, right. you know, it's not one homogenous group of people. Mm -hmm. They come from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different socioeconomic status you know, levels. And so those intersections often, you know, play into how much somebody's going to suffer just for being themselves. Mm -hmm. For myself, sure, I've lost a lot. I faced rejection. I, you know, get weird looks when I go to the store, all those kind of things. But I still see myself as so privileged mm. because mm. I'm white. I'm a business owner. I own my home. I have education. You know, I have more than enough money to provide for myself and my family, which is something that honestly most trans people cannot say. And so I often will defer a lot of times to other trans people just because my experience honestly is an anomaly to have all of those privileges. Mm. But yeah, of course, you know, social and familial rejection is probably the number one hardship that all trans people face. But beyond that, when you're trans, it's harder to get and keep a job. It's harder to get mm -hmm. housing. It's harder to have access to health care and appropriate health care and not be 
treated by your healthcare providers like there's something wrong with you. Mm. And those are just some of them. But of course, there's risk of violence. Most trans people at some point or another are really going to struggle with their mental health. Mm. Things Mm. like depression and suicidality are much higher in the trans population. And, you know, some people might point to that and say, well, that's evidence that there is something wrong with them. But the truth is that depression and that feeling of hopelessness comes from the rejection. Yeah. And it comes from the fact that they can't be accepted for who they are, especially by the people who are supposed to love them, yeah. you know? So, yeah. So you get into all kinds of issues with, you know, poverty, you know, race, Black trans women are often the highest category of those who experience violence for being trans. And so it's hard because you get grouped into so many adverse categories when, you know, you're a poor black trans person that, you know, life is miserable in a lot of ways. And so, you know, honestly, there there just has to be systemic change. We have to just, you know, fight for the equity and liberation of all people regardless of all these different things. But fortunately, I recognize my privilege and I try to use it for good whenever I can. But I understand that even my experience, as hard as it was at times, is very different and is very privileged compared to others. Mm, That's a wonderful answer. Wow. I think we're getting close on time, but I would be remiss of me not to ask you, because generally we like to post links to content or resources under Mm -hmm. each episode. So do you have any podcast books, websites, human beings to follow that you would recommend for people, one, who are learning and want to be educated, Mm -hmm. and two, for people maybe that also are maybe struggling with identifying or in their own process? Do you have any like resources you'd point people to? Yeah, for different things. I mean, first of all, if you're currently struggling in a mental health capacity because you're wrestling with these things, definitely reach out to the Trevor Project. They are great at helping people go through the things that you're going through. Beyond that, there's all kinds of books and resources out there. I mean, it's really easy to find. I like to focus a lot of my attention on the activist work that hopefully will help change things for people like me. One person that I follow very closely is another good friend of mine is Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. And they have an organization called Activist Theology. They've got one book and then another one coming out on embodiment. But Mm -hmm. they have a podcast, the Activist Theology podcast, which is great. And they talk about all of these different issues. Intersectionality is a big one that they cover. Gosh, let's see what else. There's a podcast out there that I really got a lot out of, which is called Queer Sex Ed. Mm. And it's really great about, first of all, both of the hosts are trans, but you know, what does sex look like in the trans community? And what does it look like when you're interacting with people who, you know, don't know how to respect who you are and things like safety and consent and all Mm. kinds of really, really good stuff. But then also normalizing parts of those experiences that have been seen as taboo or have been, you know, just so far shelved into the dark by more conservative members of our community that there's just not a lot out there as far as education goes. That's awesome. Super helpful. helpful. Wow. Well, I am so grateful for you and Thank you for being willing to share your story and your thoughts and your ideas. It's already given me a lot to chew on and think about. 
And I'm really happy you're my friend, so I can like keep talking to you <laughs> off the form of a podcast. Absolutely. Um, this was really rich. This was mm. deep and, and insightful. And so thank you so much for sharing part of who you are with us for like this 45 minutes. And mm. Dr. Jamie Berline, you are a wonder and I'm really mm. grateful for you. So well, thank you. Thank you. I did think of one thing. This is one trans story. Yeah. There are so many very different trans stories. We didn't even get into, you know, binary versus non-binary or, you know, trans men often have very different experiences than trans women. But I love that trans representation period in the media is on the rise, which is fantastic. But I would say, you know, you definitely need more than one perspective. You need lots of these stories out there for people to really understand that trans experience because one person doesn't sum it up. That's good. Thank you, Jamie. This was so good. I loved it. I love talking to you and I loved hearing your story and I just wish we had two more hours, you know? Well, we're probably just going to have to have you back if you're willing. Yes. Hey, sure. I'm up for it. Our sincerest thanks to Dr. Jamie Berline. This episode was produced by Latifa Alatas and Steve Weens. It was edited and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by Alan Lusink, and the music you hear was composed, produced, and licensed by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Mill Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes.